Jesus, again today, we thank you. As we've sung, we recognize you as Almighty God, Elohim. But Lord, we thank you that even in the power of your might, we thank you that you speak to us in a still, small voice. Lord, we thank you that even though we know and recognize that you are almighty and all-powerful and glorious, we just thank you that you are so gentle, so quiet, so still and calm. So, Lord, today we just want to thank you again that you don't throw us to the ground. You don't twist our arm behind our back and demand that we submit. You could crush us with your power. You could, you could just floor us. And yet, Lord, you allow us to make our own decisions. You allow us to cut our own course. You allow us to walk through life and find you in the mistakes that we make and the successes sometimes that come our way. Lord, we just want to thank you that you are gentle. You are gentle. And Lord, we pray that in this place today we would hear that still small voice amidst the noise of the world around us. We would, we would be able just to quiet ourselves before you and listen to your word. And your voice would speak above my voice and through my voice. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Let's thank our musicians this morning. Absolutely amazing. And what did you think about that interview with Andy and Siobhan? Come on. Absolutely amazing. Do you know what, what, for me, what struck me, there were so many things about that video that really touched my heart, like your heart, I'm sure. But one of the things, just one thing that Siobhan said, that she was just stood at a bus stop. And Michelle Stone came up to her and invited her, just asked her if she wanted to come to church. And just look, look at the result of just, firstly, the obedience of Michelle in, 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 in a willingness to bring somebody home into God's family. And the, and the openness that, that Siobhan had in bringing Andy and just their lives now. They're such, I know many of you know Andy and Siobhan, such a blessing, such a blessing. But it's, it does truly, when I, when I listen to things like that, it actually speaks a lot about this house. It speaks a lot about us together as a family. Not one person, we say it all the time, not one person, two or three. No, it, it talks about us as a family and I think it's good to think about that. Just think about the heart of this family in reaching out to people, in welcoming people. So many times we hear of the welcome that people are given. And that's a great thing. It's, we must never lose that. And I, I really do believe that, you know, it's not saying that we can't improve. But I tell you something now, this church has got a great welcome. It welcomes people, people home, it does. So be encouraged when you, when you see things like that. Like Faye said, Heart for the House next week. It's that one time in the year where we look back, give thanks to God for everything that we've done over this last past year. We've been putting it together. And 
I know you're going to be blessed by what you see and, and what happens through this house. It truly is a blessing. It's not the only church in the city. Thank God there are many wonderful churches in this city doing a work for Jesus, not only in this city, in this whole nation. Thank God for the house of God. Thank God for people coming together and saying, do you know what? We're going to serve Jesus with our lives in our time and in our generation. But as for this house, it's our moment next week to look at what we've been doing over this last past year and also to bring, we encourage you to bring a financial offering and place it into this house. We've got lots of work to do and um, still lots of remedial work, lots of improvement work on the building we'll be telling you about and also missions that we want to support. We don't just want to, you know, um, use all of our resources to establish what we're doing here. We want to look out, don't we? And we want to support other ministries that are touching needy areas of the world. So we'll be bringing that to you next week. Come excited. Come excited and expectant. I know that you're going to be encouraged. Okay, uh, for the time we've got this morning, again, um, I want to look um, at a passage of Scripture that really relates to what we've been looking over the weeks in Psalm 86, verse 11. I'm sure you know this verse by now. You should do. Um, I've, I've uh, quoted it enough. David says, Psalm 86, verse 11, Lord, teach me your ways and I will walk in your truth. Give me an undivided heart that I might fear your name. What we said was when David made that request, when, when David laid bare his desire to the Lord in saying, Lord, teach me your ways in Psalm 86. When he said that, what, what he was doing was he was inviting God to change him. That's what I said last week. There was four things that David was doing in requesting of the Lord to be his teacher. Firstly, he was inviting the Lord to change him. I said, listen, if you're not willing to change, don't ask God to be your teacher. Don't pray this prayer like David prayed in Psalm 86. He was asking God to change him. Also, by saying, Lord, teach me your ways, David was actually inviting God to confront him. Confrontation is not easy. Confrontation is not pleasant. It's hard. It's, it's hard when we confront one another. And certainly when God confronts you, equally it can be equally as difficult, equally as hard. But what we said was from Proverbs, a wise son loves correction. And if we're going to have the Lord as our teacher, we've got to embrace co co correction. We've got to uh, allow correction to be our closest companion. So God's going to confront us. He's going to correct us. And also, Finally, we have to have the same resolve, the same commitment that David had when the Lord taught him. He said, I will walk in your truth. So when God wants to change us, when God wants to confront us, when God wants to correct us, we must have a tenacious resolve that says, a commitment that says, I will 
walk in your truth. Such a person with such a resolve is going gonna, is gonna to see their life flourish. Such a person with such a resolve is going to succeed. It's not easy when God gets his hands into your heart, into your life, on that attitude, on that desire. It's not easy. It shouldn't be easy. It's hard. That's why Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. What is that, that symbolizing? It's an instrument of death. It's an instrument of self-denial. It's an instrument of sacrifice. Hey, church, if you're going to follow me, make sure you take your cross because there's going to be a lot of dying on the way. I'm going to teach you to take that cross into areas of your life that's going to be so unpleasant, so hard. But if you, if you listen to what I say, if you take it where I lead you, and you get up and die on the thing, and you get up and self-sacrifice on the thing, you get up and surrender your life over to it on the thing, then you're going to come through into everything that I'm leading you into. You can't follow Jesus without that cross without that instrument of self-denial. The cross will change you. The cross will confront you. The cross will correct me. And the cross requires a resolve and a commitment to carry it. Amen? But if the Lord's going to be our teacher, all of those things are necessary. Now, today, we're going to look at Psalm 32, verse 8 and 9, just two verses. And what we're going to find is that it's, it's saying really exactly the same as David said in Psalm 86. We're just, we're just going at it in a different way. But it's saying exactly the same. In Psalm 86, we hear David inviting the Lord. Teach me your ways. That's an invitation, we said. In Psalm 32, the Lord is actually inviting us. The Lord is actually making a promise to us in order for us to be led by Him, guided, and instructed. Let's read it together. Psalm 32, verse 8 to verse 9. The Lord says this. Now, this is the Lord speaking. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. Do not. Now this is the teacher coming out in God. This is the Lord instructing and teaching in verse 9. He says, do not be like the horse or like the mule or donkey, which have no understanding which must be harnessed with bit and bridle, else they will not come near you. Now, this is a wonderful portion of Scripture. It's a promise, an incredible promise. It's full of affection. It's full of intimacy. It's full of assistance. God says, listen, I want to guide you with my eye. I want to lead you in the way that you should go. I want to be God to you. I don't want you to, to, to struggle through life. I don't want you to be misdirected and confused about life. I want to guide you with my eye. That's the, the, the affectionate heart of God 
wanting to be involved in our lives to instruct us, to guide us, to lead us in a way that fulfills His purpose in our lives. However, He tells us very explicitly what not to be like. You know, when you look through the Bible, there's, there's many do-nots in the Bible. And they're there for us to take heed of. They're there for us to, to, to implement in our lives. Many do-nots. The difficulty is many times is when you, you know, are prohibited to do something, it awakens a desire within you to do it. The very prohibition itself actually arouses something within the human nature to get up and disobey that prohibition. Adam and Eve in the garden. God comes to them and he says, hey, listen, you can have the whole garden. You, everything in the garden is yours except one thing. Do not, do not take, that's what he said, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Do not, do not take of it. You can have everything. And even beyond this garden, I've got an incredible destiny for you. Even beyond this garden, I want you to go and I want you to have dominion and reign over all of the earth. I've got such a wonderful plan, but do not, do not touch or partake of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For in the day that you do, you will, you will die. You'll surely die. Well, we know that, that the enemy used that do not. The enemy used that prohibition to awaken a desire within them to go and take of the fruit of the tree. And suddenly, there's, the, the, their whole lives are thrown into a mess you know, Adam looks at God, and in one statement, he, he's, he's blaming God and, and looking down on his wife, and he says, it's the, it's the woman that you gave me, and the two most important relationships in his life come under fire as a result of sin, as a result of stepping beyond the boundary, beyond the fence, beyond the border that God had set for them. Do not touch, do not take of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They took a hold of it, and as a result of that, they fell from God's wonderful plan for their lives. And down into the years, you've got one son murdering another son, and this confusion in humankind just from disobeying one do not. There's other do nots in the Bible that are really important, very important that we take hold of them. In fact, Isaiah 41 verse 10, God speaking to his people, he says this, do not fear. Do not. Do not fear. Now, if God says, do not fear, we do not have to fear. Have you ever felt the power of fear? Have you ever felt the shiver of it? Have you ever felt the controlling hand of it on your mind? Have you ever had to walk through that swamp for a whole week, a month, two months, three months? Have you ever felt how you can be a prisoner to fear, irrational thoughts and feelings, and how it comes just like a black cloud? I have. God says, Dave, do not. 
So that must mean that I can stand up on the inside. I can stand up and take a hold of my mind. In fact, the Bible says, gird up the loins of your mind. What does it mean? It means, come on, Dave, pick, pick the loins up of your mind. Pick them up. Don't just let them lapse and languish in any old pit. It says, do not fear, Dave. Now, I'd be a fool, wouldn't I? To go ahead and fear when God's telling me not to fear. But very often, fear comes in this way and that way. And, it, and it, in, in an unexpected area, it, it's got you. And before you know it, you're down on your knees saying, oh, God, help me. Do not fear. For this reason, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed. I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. There's no need to fear, Dave. There's no need to fear, church. Do not fear. Let me give you another one. Galatians 6, verse 7 to 9. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that will he reap. For he who sows to his flesh will reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not or do not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. The do nots in the Bible are incredible. It's the teacher guiding us. It's the teacher instructing us. It's the teacher knowing all about life and knowing what, what will make it strong and what will make it successful, guiding us toward that end. Do not, he says. Do not be deceived. You sow fear. Day after day after day after day, month after month after month. You're not going to get a harvest of joy, Dave. You sow depression. You don't pick up, gird up the loins of your mind and take control and get that helmet of salvation on your head and that sword of the Spirit in your hand, that shield of faith. You don't, you don't implement my word, Dave. Listen, Dave. You're going to reap this stuff. This stuff is real. No, do not fear. Another one, Jesus. Now, there's many we could go through. Many we could go through. John 14, verse 27. Jesus saying, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, do I give to you. Let not or do not let, let not, or do not let your heart be troubled. Neither be afraid. Blinking heck, Jesus, it's all right for you to say that. Do you know, I can remember years ago now, many years ago, living in Johannesburg, South Africa, struggling. I'm a, I'm, I'm a Christian, loving Jesus best I can. And I, could, I was struggling with anxiety. Day after day after day, all of these anxious feelings, feeling homesick, wanting to come back to the church, but knowing that my destiny was there for that period, that two-year period of time, but battling with 
anxiety. And I had this scripture from God. Do, Philippians 4, do not be anxious about anything. But with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God, and the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your heart and your mind through Christ Jesus. Do not be anxious for anything. Just kept on going round and round six months. And I said to God, I said, oh God, this is ridiculous, man. How could Paul say such a thing? I'll tell you how he could say such a thing. Because it was no longer Paul that was living, it was Christ within him. He was living at another place. He actually made that beautiful statement in a dirty prison cell. Don't be anxious about anything. He's surrounded by squalor, living in chains, not knowing when his life is going to end. Don't be anxious about anything, church. What a life. And one day, after six long months, it hit me as a young person. As a young person, something, I, I was just about to put my foot off the edge of the pavement just on a normal day, normal midweek day, and suddenly the peace of God that passes understanding, that's deeper than any anxious feeling, flooded my heart, guarded my heart and mind, and it's been my provision ever since. Have I left it sometimes? Definitely. Too many times, right? Have I, have I gone back to those old anxious ways? Certainly. But every time I come back to it, do not, Dave. I come back to that do not. I'm, 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 I'm worried. I'm concerned. I'm anxious about something. And then it just pops up in my spirit again. Dave, don't be anxious. But, but this thing is different than that thing. Don't be anxious about anything, Dave. The do nots in the Bible. I remember as a, as a young boy growing up with some do nots, my mum would say to me, David, David, don't you play with those matches. Oh, I used to love matches. Any boys in here? That, that loved matches. Yeah, James likes matches. Don't play with matches. No. What do you want for Christmas, David? Box of matches, ma'am, please. And some fire lighters to go up the field. And a can of beans to warm over the cooker. Don't you play with those matches? Well, you know, matches would be in the kitchen. Mum would be out. Matches go in the pocket. Down the field with the boys. I got the matches, boys. Fantastic. Then Steve would say, I got the beans in the soup. Eddie. They used to call me Eddie. I got the beans in the soup, Eddie. Fantastic, Steve. And then we used to go up to the farmer's field, jump over the fence. It was a potato field. And we used to nick the potatoes from the field and, and, and make jacket potatoes up the field. Fantastic. Big fire. Such a big fire from such a small match. Absolutely fantastic. Wonderful things, matches. Well, it's not long before what's happening outside comes inside, you see. And you can play with matches outside, and you may light a field, or, you know, and then run away. Or some trees. But 
I remember one night playing with matches in the kitchen. And, and my mum, that, on that Saturday, had gone to York. We were living in Yorkshire. She'll remember this. And she bought all of the material for the Sunday school. She used to have about 30 kids coming to the house in Yorkshire from, from around. You know, always loved people no matter what age. Always just wanted to tell people about Jesus, mum and dad. And, they, and she went out and she bought all of this Sunday school material for the kids on Sunday. Well, I was playing with matches, wasn't I? Uh-oh. And suddenly, all of this Sunday school material, it went up and there was flames in the kitchen. I didn't even know what to do. I didn't have the sense, right, to even get any water to try and extinguish it. And the flames were going up the wall under the cupboard. And my, I, I started shouting, John, John, John's my brother. There's a fire in the house. <laughs> he runs in. How did this happen? I don't know, John. I don't, I don't know how it happened. Have you been playing with those matches? He grabs uh, uh, a jug of water and throws it all over the Sunday school material and that was it. It was all out and I run upstairs, I put my head under the covers because I thought I was in for a big, big smack, right? Mum came home and Dad, Jonathan, what's been happening in this house? And this was the first thing, they come in through the door. <laughs> what can I smell? Diane, is that burning? John told him, I came down, and you know what? My mum was gracious. I told you, son, didn't I? Don't play with the matches. Yeah. That was a lesson, you see. But it didn't need to, it didn't need to go that far. It could have been far more serious. It really could have. It could have been far more serious than, you know, just a fire in the kitchen. It could have been the whole house burning down. Now, God gives us these do-nots because He wants to help us. He doesn't want to, you know, He doesn't want to smack us across the head. He doesn't want to be a killjoy. He doesn't, He's not a control freak. You know that. You know that. But God instructs us in order for our lives to succeed. Do not. Do not fear. Do not be deceived. Do not trouble. And then in Psalm 32, as we've read, he says, do not be like the horse. Do not be like the mule that has no understanding, that has to be guided by the steel bit that comes in their mouth and pulls them and restrains them and brings them into order. God does not want our lives to come under the steel bit of circumstance, the steel bit of life itself to bring us into order. He says these animals, and he's using these characters, these characteristics within these animals to direct us. Why? Because he knows that we have a tendency just to be like the horse. He knows each and every one of us have a tendency to be like that mule. And that's why he says, listen, I don't want you to go down that road. I don't want you to have those characteristics 
in your life like those animals have. They have to be pulled this way and pulled that way by the hard steel bit in their mouth. I do not want you to be like that. They have no understanding. I want to guide you with my eye. I want to lead you with my voice. I want to instruct you. I want to show you why and have a conversation with you why we need to go this way. One occasion in the Old Testament, when God was giving advice to Israel, he said to them, I set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. And then he said this, just to remove any shadow of doubt, but I would say, choose life. He didn't just say, I set before you life and death, blessing and cursing, now make a choice. No, as a loving father, just in case anybody made the right choice, on the end of it he said, oh please choose life. Choose life. Because he knew the tendency of people. He knew the nature. He knew the, deceit, the deceitfulness of our heart to think that choosing the, 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 the wrong way over the right way is the best way. He knew. He says, choose life. And here, he's instructing David. He's instructing his people. He's saying, don't, don't be like the horse. Don't be like the mule. I, I said briefly last week about the journey that Saul of Tarsus was on. He was going to Damascus to destroy the church. And Jesus appeared to him, knocked him off his horse, and he was on the floor. And one of the things the Lord said to him was, Saul, he actually said his name twice. Saul, Saul, it's hard for you to kick, for you to kick against the goads, for you to kick against the pricks. The goad was a stick with nails in it, and the shepherd used it to whack the backside of a stubborn sheep to get it going in the right direction. God uses the goad sometimes. It's called discipline. God uses the goad to direct us, to help us, because He loves us, and He is going to finish all of the work that He's started within us. But sometimes it's like life is like a goad, and you're kicking against it. What's that? That's a horse kicking against the directives of God. That's a mule digging its heels in and saying, I won't do it that way. I'm going to do it this way. And Paul, this incredible guy who could speak many languages, had brilliant intellect, understood the Old Testament like probably nobody else did. This incredible man was actually kicking against the reproofs of God. He was kicking against the instructor, kicking against the teacher that he was speaking about and doing great harm to the church. And Jesus said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. His life changes. He accepts the correction. Suddenly, he moves from a place of being 
like a strong horse. He removes from that stubborn position of being like a mule to a man that's guided by the eyes of the Lord, to a man that's no longer governed by the bit, the bridle of life, pulling him here and pulling him there, and his spirit becomes open. His understanding is cleared of all of that religious stuff, and he becomes directed by God. And his life after meeting Jesus was absolutely incredible. Let me talk to you about why God doesn't want us to be like the horse and the mule. Firstly, a horse is self-confident and strong. But the strength of a horse is unruly, out of control, and it doesn't want to submit to a greater power. The horse is self-confident, strong, but its strength is unruly and uncontrolled, and it doesn't want to submit to the strength of somebody higher. The horse also is prominent. If you think of those stallions, they're so grand, so prominent. And you can see in the very caricature of, of a horse that it's, it wants prominence and it wants to be number one. If we want to be number one, we're in the wrong kingdom. If we want to be number one, any one of us, from me to you. If we want to be number one, if we want to be prominent, we're following the wrong Savior. We're following the wrong Lord. There ain't no number ones. Well, there is, and the job's already taken. The prize has already been given. He's got the name above all names. He's seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven, and he will occupy that position forevermore. He's number one. But the horse wants to be prominent. The horse wants to be number one. The horse also only works in a team under compulsion. They have to be tied together. In order to come together, they have to be brought together and bound together. And there's, there's a compulsion. There's a straining. There's a stress. And it rebels against restraint. Have you ever, you know, have you ever seen those rodeo riders? There was a series that, that we watched earlier this year. I forgot the name of it. But it was, it, it was incredible. It was about these men that just went riding rodeo horses. And it's massive in America. It's a massive sport in, in South America. And these men just gave their lives to learn how to ride the rodeo horse, the unbroken strength of the rodeo horse. And you'd see them getting bucked and kicked and there was no restraint and no control. And these men would get flung in the air and the horse would, would stamp all over them because of the power and the strength of, of, of that horse. Because it was unbroken, it would not be subdued or ruled by anybody on it. And God says, don't be like that. Don't be like that. Because we can. 
We can. We can be like the horse, strong in our opinions, strong in our mind, strong in our views. I will do it my way. That's not a compliment. And that's not really a great song. The horse generally is an animal that's not controlled unless it's broken. It's broken. The horse typifies the individualist that wants everything done its own way. And if it isn't done its own way, it bucks and it kicks and it lets everybody know. It lets everybody know. Don't be like the horse, Dave. Don't be like the horse. Be guided by my eye. The horse doesn't have any understanding. It's strong, it's powerful, it seeks prominence, and it looks as if, it's ev it looks as if everything's in control, but you know what? It has to be steered by a cold steel bit. Then God says, don't be like the mule. Don't be like the mule. I'm going to ask the musicians to come. Don't be like that old stubborn mule. Four things about the mule. You've seen pictures of a stubborn donkey unwilling to move, stubborn digging its heels in. I tell you, if a donkey doesn't want to move, it won't move. It really won't. It will not give in. Or, this is the thing, if it does move, its movement will be slow and very apathetic, full of complaint. God says, don't be like the mule. Don't be stubborn. Don't be slow. Don't be apathetic. And it, listen, don't feel bad today. These, these traits are in us. They are in us. We've just got to accept that. But slowly, as the Lord comes to teach us and help us, we're going to move from being like that strong horse. Don't beat yourself up today. If you've been struggling with these tensions within you, I'm just going to drive through this decision. I'm just going to make this decision. Come what may, throw caution to the wind. Here we go. Wah! That's like a strong old horse with no understanding. And you'll feel the steel bit of life bridle you back. It's hard. So hard. I know what it's like to be a strong horse. Listen, I'm more than willing to put my dirty washing up before you if it helps one person. Because I wouldn't want you to go through the pain sometimes that I've gone through. Oh, it's so hard being a strong horse. It's so hard. Well, I'm just going to give him a piece of my mind. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. Don't give him a piece of your mind, whatever you do. Been there, done it. It don't work. I just want to help you before you just let loose before you just pour all that venom all over them. Don't do it. Hold back. Don't be like the strong horse. Because life will be like a steel bit that pulls you back. And ooh, it's painful. 
It's painful. I'm telling you, I just want to help you. And I don't mind telling you, I've been like a strong horse. It hurts. It hurts when God pulls you up and when people pull you up. I'm telling you, I'll put my dirty washing out if it helps one person to not walk on that path. I've been like a stubborn mule. Well, do you know what? I used to work for a place called PowerFab. I did my apprenticeship there, engineering apprenticeship. And I remember there was about 150 men working there. Great place to work, loved it. But the time of year would come where men wanted a pay rise, right? And they'd go in and they'd, they'd, they'd be a union rep and he'd go into the office and negotiations would begin. I want a pay rise. We want a pay rise. And the boys would come back. He'd come back into the canteen, the union rep, and he'd say, well, do you know what? They're not going to give us the 5% pay rise. Oh, Huge protest. Huge protest. And then one would pipe up and it was get up the valleys. And if you've ever been up the valleys, oh, Hallelujah full of union men, loyal men, but sometimes like the mule. Right, boys, I tell you what we'll do. One old man would stand up, and this is what they used to say. It's fantastic. We'll go on a go slow. What we, we won't down tools, boys. We will go on a go slow. Now, a go slow It is what it says it is. Everybody goes slow. Really slow. So you're there and you're you're in production and, you know, they've got to get excavators out of the door. The the, the order books are full. And nobody cares about the fact that the employer are just, you know, trying to keep their head above water with all of the rising bills. and Nobody cares about the burden that the directors have got to carry when they go home. Nobody cares about that. It's just the little man with his little head on the shop floor wanting more overtime, wanting more money for his pound of flesh. We'll go on a go slow, boys. Oh, well done. Your future is going to be really secured in the company as a result of that, boys, isn't it? So we go on a go slow. And production would half. And you'd see the directors running out, man. What? And I won't, I mean, it wouldn't be right to say what they said in church. It really wouldn't. But you'd see these men just held. You'd see these men threatened without a word being spoken, but by men just being stubborn, digging their heels in like mules. Slow. Slow down. Seen it in the church. Something doesn't go somebody's way. Might as well say it as it is. It doesn't go somebody's way. They're running fast for God. They're running fast in team. They're, they're passionate about their, what they're doing. And then something turns and they just slow up. I understand it. I've done it. Done it. Even as a pastor. We can get Pastor Ray back and he can tell you all the stories about me to help you. But you know, thank God. Thank God he doesn't leave us in the conditions that he finds us. He finds me like a strong horse, like Peter cutting with a sword. He finds me like a stubborn mule that doesn't want to move, or if I am going to move, I'll move slowly and I'll contest. 
along the way, but he brings you to a place where he guides you with his eyes. The word is today, the word is, the word to take away today is, do not be like the horse. Do not be like the mule. Why? God wants you to succeed in your work. God, when others are being too strong, when, when others aren't negotiating right in the office and they're, being, they're, they're, they're digging their heels in and they're, they're, they're being stubborn like a mule, God wants you to thrive. That's your moment that he's going to take you into where you're going to succeed. You're going to be guided by his eyes. One last story. One last story. I remember years ago, working in a company, a great company, that did pipe work, industrial pipe work. And um, we used to go into, into different situations and we'd do maintenance contracts and just work in, in lots of different fields. It was, it was a great job. Great bosses, really great bosses. Really kind, really pleasant, really good to work for. And there was this one old guy that came in one day. And I, I can remember, man, I, I was just loving being there. Just, just really good pay for a, a good day's work. And, you know, excellent. And I can remember this old guy coming in. And he'd been around in industry. And, do you know, three days before, the Lord gave me a dream. Before this man came. And he showed me everything that this man was going to say to me. It was like he was going to try and defile me with his words. And he was like an old mule, man. Always complaining about something. Always nitpicking. There's not enough pay. They've missed out this in my docket. Look at the hours that I've done. The, what, where's my traveling expenses? That, 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 that. And the list would go on. And he came up to me. And, and the Lord showed me in a dream exactly what he was going to say to me. And it was about jumping ship. Jump into another company. And, he, and, and in the dream, I knew the company that he was going to talk about. So I'm just working away. I'm just waiting. And this day he comes, man. Comes up to me and he says, ba, 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 Full of complaints about these two directors. Good men. Good men. And um, do you know what? Because of that warning from the Lord. You see, he will guide you with his eyes. He will give you understanding. He will tell you of things to come that have not yet occurred. He's done it so many times, guided with his eyes. And I said, Lord, here it is. Here it is. And he complained, tried to get me in partnership with him. I just said, oh, hey, Tom, all the best, bro. All the best. I didn't even say anything to him about the dream. All the best, Tom, with that one. And he, within days, he was out of the company, jumped ship, and the, the, the promise that he'd had from another company to come and jump ship, it lasted days, and he left a good job. Why? Because he was just like a stubborn old mule, unwilling to change. God will guide you with his eyes. It's his portion. It's his blessing on your life. He's your teacher, but you've got to go with it. The the the. the the, the, the horse and the mule, they don't like change. The horse and the mule, they don't like correction, confrontation. There's no commitment to it. They, they just want to drive on through. 
their own way. But when we say, Lord, teach me your ways. Lord, teach me your ways. You're saying, Lord, change me. Change that strong, horse-like character that I have. Change that, that mule inside me that's stubborn. Change me. That's all we can do. That's all we can do. And I'm telling you now, it's a prayer he loves. It's a prayer he loves. When you get real with your heart, you get real with your attitudes, you get real with the things that you're feeling inside. It's fine to feel them. It's fine to, 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 to feel all of these tensions boiling up inside you. Don't worry about them. Just invite him in. Oh, teach me. Teach me. Teach me. Teach me. Thy ways. You can see my ways. Teach me thy ways, O oh Lord. And I will, if you will teach me, if you will show me the alternatives to being a horse and a mule, I will walk in your truth. Amen. Amen. Father, I thank you today. Lord, we praise you for your spirit here. Lord, I thank you for your wonderful, wonderful people. Lord, I pray that the words from my mouth, Lord, Lord, that they've not been harsh. Lord, I haven't wanted to rub salt in anybody's wound. Lord, if I've done that, Lord, I pray that, Lord, you would heal it. Lord, I've just wanted, Lord, to, to, to just show the journey that I've been on and, and I'm still on. Lord, I just pray for your people, God. Lord, you don't want us to be like that horse. You don't want us to be like that mule. You actually want to come alongside us and guide us with your eyes so that we have understanding so that we can walk in the truth and walk in, Lord, all of the paths that you have for us. Lord, I pray for every person here. Oh, God. Oh, God. You are our teacher. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name. If you're in this place this morning and you've never asked Jesus into your heart, while eyes are closed right now, I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you give you an opportunity to ask Jesus to come into your heart. You've been looking for peace. You've been looking maybe in all of the wrong places. You've had disappointments. Your heart's heavy. And you don't know what way to go. You don't know what direction to, to take. Hey, listen. Jesus. Jesus will save you. He'll be your best friend. Won't make you religious but he'll give you the peace that you're so desperate to find. Pray this prayer with me right now. Ask Jesus into your heart. Pray it quietly. Whisper it. Whisper it. But mean it and believe it. Say this, Jesus, I ask you, please forgive me of my sin. Give me your peace. Save me. Save me. Come into my heart. The best way as I know how, I just open my life to you right now. And I whisper this prayer, asking you to be my Savior. Amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, there's going to be stewards, a welcome team at the end, at the back, holding a little Bible. We would love, we would love for you to take one of those Bibles 
and maybe just give us your details and we can correspond with you. If you need prayer at the end of this service, please, please come and see us, see myself or see one of the team and we would love to pray with you, be involved with you. Let's stand to our feet. We're going to sing. What a great morning we've had. Let's give him praise in this place.